preach the message in the morning, we're doing a series called One from the Heart, where we're just inviting our elders and pastors to get up and share a message that God's put in their heart. And uh, I really loved what Claire brought uh, in the morning service. And I also uh, thought it would be good to hear Claire, one, because what she shared was a great word, but also because probably more than 95% of the time you're hearing uh, blokes preaching, because all our pastors are blokes, and there's something about a different perspective that Claire brings as a woman that was, I thought, really significant. And so I'm going to pray for you, Claire, and then just hand over. I've already played for, prayed for you twice tonight. But th- yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we pray blessing upon uh, Claire, but we want to particularly particularly pray that we would have uh, our hearts open, our our uh, ears open to hear um, uh, what you want to speak to us through uh, your word by your spirit as Claire shares. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. This worked last time. I got it on my iPad. I've not, <laughs> I'm not a, you know, a very technical person, but um, because it worked last time, I'm going to do it again. I really need to stay on track because th- the thing that I find is that I wander. So I've got it all in little, um, t- in little tables so I don't wander. Oh, except it's got its... I don't want that there. <laughs> okay. If you talk to technology, it works, doesn't it? Okay. Find the start of it. Okay, thanks, Mark, for introducing me here. Um, it was a bit strange um, doing the one from the heart because I've done it already before. And um, I, because, you know, I'm so terrific with technology, um, I didn't save it. And so, you know, when Mark said, preach it again, oh, the notes were gone. <laughs> so I had to, I did actually, you know, listen. And, um, and so I've, I've tried to, um, to, to be, you know, still be good. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's one from the heart. And I've titled it, Our Hearts Are In His Hands. Now, um, do you want to, um, Nathan, would you do the next little slide? So um, the heart is really important to God. And one of the things that Mark in, um, encouraged me to do is have a look through, um, get on the Bible Gateway app and typed in heart and to see how many times heart came up in the New International Version um, in using the Bible, you know, the Bible Gateway app. And um, I can tell you that heart gets 725 references. Um, you can see that's almost half, half the whole thing. Um, soul gets 95. So that's kind of like heart and soul. Um, mind gets 163. Uh, thoughts get 40. Body 277 and strength 232. But you can see just by doing that little um, flashy donut um, graph. <laughs> I've got so many talents, haven't I? <laughs> that um, that hearts are pretty important to God. It's pretty. It's 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 a lot of it in the in the scriptures. Um, but then what I really found interesting was that, um, like in the Old Testament, um, it was most frequently used in Psalms and Proverbs, and you probably wouldn't think that's too unusual. Um, but significantly, it was also in, in the books of the law. And, um, and I thought it was a bit interesting that, um, if, you, if you know, that um, Aaron, had a, Aaron the high priest had a special breastplate. Um, and on it, there was like a, the Urim and Thurim. And that was used for important decision making. I'm not quite sure how they did it. But it was for important decision making. So when they needed to know something, um, then they would consult the Urim and Thurim on... Aaron's breastplate, and that was over his heart. So I thought, very interesting. Heart is important. 
Um, another interesting thing that I found um, was that in the New Testament, um, Romans was one of the books that had many references to the heart. Uh, I can't remember, but um, I think... Um, well, I can't remember. No, I can't remember. But one of them had 19, one had 18, one had 17, and Romans had 14 um, references to the heart. But what was really lovely about Romans, it had 14 references to the heart and 14 references to the mind. And I just think that's really lovely. You know, I just, when I, when I read that, I thought, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, Romans is kind of like that kind of book. Um, but you've got to understand it in your mind, but also understand it in your heart. So um, I think it's an important thing that we're studying the book of Romans at this time. It's such a critical book. All right. Um, Nathan, would you do the next one? Thank you. All right. Um, so the heart is really important. As um, uh, a wise person once wrote, <laughs> the heart is the place where obedience or disobedience springs. It's the place of our deepest motives and most precious loves, our truest inner self. The core of our being, our affections, anxieties and desires, our courage and compassion, belief and doubt come from there. And our conscience, the sense of right and wrong, um, like we heard earlier in Romans 2.15, the law written on our hearts, repentance happens in the heart. Faith purifies. Faith purifies the heart through the work of the Holy Spirit and our hearts have the capacity to receive his love and his spirit fills our heart. So that's a, um, a big picture worthy of, of further study. Um, but today I'm not going to um, go on about that much more. I want to share a small picture um, about something from my own um, life and um, and then to see how God had... my my heart in his hands, um, but also to explore in the scriptures, um, in the Gospel of John, um, an instance where Jesus had um, some people's hearts in his hands. And then um, at the end, we'll probably have a little time to think about, um, you know, what does it mean for us and where are our hearts at the moment? All right. So far, not too much wandering off track, so that's really good. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not from a, a church home. I became a Christian when I was 20. Um, so um, that was 40 years ago. Um, somebody uh, invited me to church and I'd never, you know, I mean, my family weren't even, you know, we didn't even do christenings or things like that my family just didn't do church <laughs> so but there was something in me that I just I just responded I wanted to go so um so a friend brought me along to church and um and it was I'd never seen anything like it in my whole life <laughs> um there was so much about Christianity that I didn't understand there was so much about church that I didn't understand but I just had a sense of of um I heard the gospel preached and I responded. Um, I wanted Jesus and, um, and he, he saved me. So, um, you know, a fairly new Christian on my first youth camp, youth and young adults camp ever. Um, so everyone was excited because um, I'm sure most of you have been on youth and young adults camp so you know how exciting they are. A um, lot of excitement. Um, and high levels of expectancy. 
Um, but I'd just had a falling out with my flatmate. Um, I thought I was a pretty nice person and that I didn't worry too much about possessions. But if ever you've been in a share house, you know how, <laughs> how that can really bump up against each other. And I got a real shock because I wasn't as nice as I thought I was. So I was feeling pretty lousy. And she was also there at the, um, at the youth camp. So things were a bit awkward. So um, it was the time of the evening um, worship service. Um, and uh, everyone was getting into it. And um, yeah, they were... Uh, gathered at the front, hands raised, and they were singing and worshipping their hearts out. And um, you know, I get a, I get a reminder of that when I come here on a Sunday night. That's why I kind of love to come because it's uh, yeah, it reminds me of um, of just the freedom to um, raise your hands and to pour out your heart to God, and that it's great to do that with others who are doing the same thing. But, you know, that wasn't how I was feeling that night. I was feeling pretty lousy. Um, but I did something really smart then that I, um, that I, I recommend to you all. <laughs> um, I, I didn't feel like going at the front, but I didn't want to be away from Jesus. I didn't like that feeling of not being connected to him. Um, so in my way, I thought, I need to go at the front. I just need to, to move there. Even though my, my, I didn't feel like it, um, my, my mind and my body kind of sometimes go before my heart. Sometimes that happens. <laughs> so there I did. I just moved myself down to the front where everybody else was worshipping. And um, I still felt nothing. Everyone was into it except me. And, um, but I thought, well, while I'm here, I may as well join in. I may as well sing. So I just started to sing and to worship. And then something um, really amazing happened to me. Um, I just I just fell down. Nobody touched me. Nobody um, put their hands on me, and I wasn't caught either. Nobody caught me. I fell on the floor. Um, so there I was on the floor, um, and I had a sense. Uh, I felt. Um, I saw a hand reach down into my chest and pull something out. And um, oh, I lost my notes. And then I was looking at it because there's a hand, and there's something in there, and it was revolting. It looked really horrible, and I immediately thought of something when I was a child because um, I I grew up in Darwin, and so we had these tamarind trees. I don't know if you've ever seen a, what a tamarind is like. Um, yeah, the little stones, but they're covered in this horrible, this pulp. So I remember trying one as a child, you know, the, and I just um, chewed it up and, it, and I spat it out. It was sticky. It was, you know, <laughs> it was um, sour, sharp and dark and ugh, yucky. So I just remember, and that's what that looked like, a little tamarind seed spat into the hand. Um, and I thought, oh... That's awful. What is that revolting thing? And then the realisation hit me. Oh, yeah, that's my, that's my heart. That's actually what my heart looks like, a disgusting little tamarind seed. And, and, I, and I, a real panic gripped me because I thought, what is he doing? Why is he holding it? Why isn't he just throwing it away? It's revolting. Um, and then I just had, I just had a sense of, um, no, no, I didn't hear anything, but I just had a sense of looking at his hands. So my attention was drawn to his hands and I had that wonderful sense 
that I will never forget, and it's shaped me for my whole life now, that he has my heart, my disgusting little tamarind seed heart that I would have thrown away, but he is holding it. He is holding it. He's not going to throw it away. It's his. He's got it. He's got me. He knows me. He knows me. He knows that I can be horrible and mean. He knows that I can be pretty good sometimes too. He knows me. He knows me and he's got me. And, um, you know, that is that unconditional love that I, you know, Christians talk about. But I understood that day that I was loved deeply by God. He's got me. Jesus has me. So, I also found that Jesus constantly surprises me. When you, somebody said about the surprises, <laughs> I, yeah, that was a surprise for me because I, I, I expected him to throw it away, but instead he held it. I expected so many things of Jesus that he's proved me wrong. See, um, when, I, when I was uh, coming into the church, that was like in the late 70s, um, early 80s, there was a thing on TV called the Christian Television. I don't know. Um, some people may have seen it. And there was this woman that used to come on and her name was Evie Tornquist. And she was gorgeous. She was blonde. She was smiley, shiny, pure, beautiful. And when I saw that, I thought, you want me to be like that, God? Jesus, do you want me to be like her? <laughs> Never am I going to do that. Um, so one of the things I found is, no, I don't have to be like her. I can just be me. I can just be me. Because I thought that being a Christian, I had to be a certain way in the church. And I soon learned from him on that day that all I need to be is me. And he's got me. All right. Okay. Now, now we're going to look in the scriptures um, and see Jesus in action. Now, that's my story, um, but um, I'd like to show you something from the Gospel of John. Okay. All right. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you would um, speak to our hearts today before we read the, the, the passage. And, um, and I want to thank you, Lord, that um, you show us things out of your word. You know, when we were singing about um, the 10,000 reasons for my heart to find, those, those blessings. Well, no, Lord, there'll be more blessings. We said, we were, Lord, let us hear the blessings from your word. Let us be blessed by the very things that we are going to look at in your word right now. And let it bless our hearts. Let us feed on it. And let's, let's, um, let's bless you in our hearts as we read these amazing things from your word. Okay. So, um, Nathan, could you put up the scriptures there? I know it's really tiny. <laughs> Um, but I just wanted to put it all up there, all at once, um, because um, because we're going to dip in and out of that. And I, and if you just have sections of it, then then I will lose track. So it's really for my benefit. It's just on one slide. Okay. Okay, I'm going to read it. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Okay, This is John, um, John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. 
At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? For they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So this is a really uncomfortable story. Um, Like in my Bible, there's a little note that says, and probably in your Bible too, that says um, it doesn't appear in the oldest manuscripts. Um, So, however, it's in there because plenty of Bible scholars over the years say it belongs and it shows the beauty and majesty and the heart of Jesus. And we're going to look through this um, passage um, now. Um, And I bolded um, I bolded some bits because I want us to pay attention to, to the body language that's in there. Everything that Jesus is doing is so deliberate and so um, intentional and I don't, want to, I don't want us to miss it. Well, we know um, it says there um, what the purpose of the Pharisees was. It was to trap Jesus because they thought they had him cornered. You know, if he had have said stone her well only the Romans were allowed to do that so he would have been in trouble with the Romans so he probably would have been arrested so uh, but if he had said let her go um, then he would be in trouble with the people because uh, and the Jews because he had no respect and he didn't obey the law so they were trying to sort of snooker him here and corner him All right, so let's look at all the things that Jesus did, what he didn't do and what he said. And then we'll, we'll just dwell on this as we go through at certain bits of time. Okay, so we're going to start with the woman. So the woman was brought in. There she is. They made her stand before the group. She would have been the only woman in the courtyard because... Um, you know, there was the courtyard for the men and, and the women was over here. And, uh, you know, they don't mix. Um, so the business in the temple was the, was the men. So this is where the men met and they brought her in. And her sin was announced for all the men to hear. But just look at what our pure, beautiful Jesus does. There she is standing there. Men are all looking at her, but he doesn't join in the gaze of men. You notice that? What's he doing? 
He's not staring at her. Not even for a moment he's looking down. When I read that, it just gripped my heart like you wouldn't believe because, you know, male preachers, I've heard people preach on this sermon before, but male preachers don't get it. They miss that significance. But every 12-year-old girl gets it. Every 12-year-old girl knows what that is, what the gaze of men is. Jesus looks down. He's not joining in. And he doesn't stand with them either. Can you see what is he doing with his body? She's standing, they're standing, what's he doing? He bent down. He's not joining the men in the blame game either. The blame game that's as ancient as Adam and Eve. What was Adam's words? The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. She did it. And that whole anger echoing down the generations. She's caught in the act of adultery. She's the guilty one deserving death. Stone her. But what's Jesus doing? They persisted. Can you see? They kept at him. They kept on questioning him. He stooped down and wrote in the dirt. He didn't join in. I love you, Jesus, for that. I bless you, Jesus, for that. I love it that that's what you've done. And, you know, I just think of those those women in the Bible, you know, the lady who burst into Simon's house, Simon the leper, and, uh, you know, cried, wept on his feet, poured ointment all over him and Mary as well you know I just I just love those women I love those stories and I you know no wonder no wonder they did that you know that's the response of a woman to him he respects women yeah there is really no one like you Jesus you see us, you respect us, you know us. But there's, one, there's a moment there where he held the unnamed woman's heart in his hand. And that's that in verse 7. They kept on questioning. No, it's not in verse 7. It's right at the end, verse 10. After everyone had left. I'm going to read that bit. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any, of, any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. But this is important. Jesus straightened up. He stood up at that point. And I think that's the moment that he had her heart in his hand because um, he didn't condemn her, but neither did he condone what she did either. He called her to account. When he stood up, 
he was calling her to account as well. My Bible translation that he told her to go your way, which is the declaration of release. Go your way and sin no more. That's a command filled with hope for her future. I hear it as a declaration of faith. We don't really think of Jesus as having faith in us, but he does. He had faith in her and he has faith in us to sin no more. His words have power to make something happen in our innermost being because they are the faithful words of God. I love that. I can see him having faith in her. Go your way, sin no more. I I remember reading that and just thinking, wow, that is so strong, that is so powerful. That is you having faith in that person. You had faith in her. There was no doubt that she did wrong. But you had faith. You spoke those words of faith in her. If you could do that for her, Lord, you can do it for me too. And I really loved, as a young woman, reading those words from my Bible translation, it said, go your way. Go your way. I loved that because that means don't go Evie Tornquist's way or anyone else's way. It's go my way. So, yeah, he's okay with me. I can go my way, sin no more. I can live a life of freedom and strength because of Jesus has faith in me. Jesus is, he loves me. That went straight to my my whole soul. I love that. But um, there's also other people that were um, a part of this story. Um, And I thought... I also see that the same mercy that Jesus showed to the woman, he also showed to those fellows. So what about the hearts of the scribes and the Pharisees in this story? I think he was merciful to them. And do you know how I know? Um, He didn't look at them either. He looked down and drew twice in the dirt. And I know people have speculated about what he was writing. And, you know, I've been around for a while, so I've heard a few sermons. Um, And I've heard sermons on this, um, that that, um, what Jesus was doing was writing down their sins. So um, when they're all standing around and there's Jesus writing in the dirt and he's writing down all the things that they've done wrong. And they're reading it and going, oh, my goodness, he knows. I really don't think that's what was happening. No. Because that's something that we do. We love that. We love that gotcha moment, don't we? We love to expose those people who've been hypocrites. Gotcha. Yeah, that's something that, that's something that, that is in our hearts and it certainly is not in Jesus' heart. I've also heard it preached that they were all likewise adulterers um, because, you know, we tend to point the finger at others for something that we do or secretly wish to do ourselves. And um, that he was writing the names of the women they were sinning with in the dirt. So that's really bizarre, isn't it? That's, <laughs> but yeah, I actually heard that. <laughs> um, I don't think that's true. Um, he was not. He he declined to shame the the woman who was right in front of him. So he wasn't going to be doing it to the the girls who went there. That's just not. That's just not what he's going to be doing whatsoever. But um, in any case. You know, words of knowledge, you know, if Jesus had a word of knowledge um, from the Holy Spirit, 
They're for edifying. Words of knowledge are for edifying, not for shaming. So I really don't think that what Jesus was doing was writing down their sins or anything like that in the dirt. That's just not his way. That just is not how he operates. That's condemnation and shame. Condemnation and shame is not how our Lord works. Not at all. And if nothing else you hear, <laughs> hear that one. As he, he does not operate in that way. Romans 8 says that there's therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And that's because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. It's not in him. It's not how he, how he rolls. Did you notice all through that, the body positioning, the standing up and condemning? What was Jesus doing? Bending down. He didn't stand. So if he's not standing in condemnation to the woman, and he's not standing in condemnation to the fellas either, he's not standing in condemnation with you. That's what the devil does. And that's the voice. It just goes, yip, 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 yip. That's condemnation. So you don't need to be afraid of that at all. What you do need to be afraid of is something different. Judgment. Judgment is something else entirely far more serious and much more terrifying. The judgment that belongs alone to a holy and perfect God. That's the thing you need to be afraid of. That's the thing that changes you. You can be changed by that. And I think that's what happened to these men. Because they encountered a holy God. They were pretty nasty. They were consumed by jealousy and rage because people rather listened to Jesus than them. They violently trashed God's word, God's law. They used a vulnerable woman to do so. They were arrogant and they thought they had him trapped by the law. But it's never enough to know the letter of the law. The letter of the law kills. It's the spirit that gives life. And Jesus knows. He knows that. The spirit gives life. And I think while they were just operating like that, that it was really lucky for them that he was looking down. Just lucky. I just think, I just think, what if he had have looked at them? Revelation says three times that he has eyes of blazing fire. Blazing fire is in his eyes. You read that in Revelation. It's wonderful. It stirs you. It's great. So those blazing eyes, you know, lucky for them that he was looking down and not on them. You know, our, our sin and our... Wickedness really disturbs God. It's not, he's not, his heart is not unmoved by, his heart's not unmoved by what was going on there. His heart was once so deeply troubled because of the wickedness in the hearts of people that he regretted even making us. So do you remember the story in, in um, Genesis where God said in Genesis chapter 6, he was sorry that he ever made man on the face of the earth and that's when he, um, you know, the judgment came with the flood. So I can't, I can't even fathom what that would feel like to have re- that deep regret, that deep regret. He regretted even making us because of how troubled his heart was by our wickedness. 
But I think he held their hearts in his hands too and he didn't throw them away. In the presence of a holy God, abusing God's holy law, abusing their earthly position of power, and yet he deliberately looked down and wrote in the dirt. While he was doing that, he gave them time. He gave them the time to do the right thing, to drop the stones and walk away. So maybe those religious leaders, you know, maybe they did leave in a huff, I don't know. You know, they saw that their plan didn't work and um, so they just, you know, didn't get what they intended to do and just left in a huff. But I really don't think that happened. And the reason why I reckon that um, is, is in this here. It said in verse 9, At this... Those who heard began to go away one at a time. So that tells me that that was really personal. That the Holy Spirit spoke to those men one at a time, one at a time. We don't really know what went on in there. We can only just sort of surmise. But you know when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, don't you? Your mouth shut. That's one thing. No defence. You know, you know... Uh Uh-oh, that's it. So you really know when the Holy Spirit has convicted you, you shut your mouth. There's nothing to say. They heard it and they left one by one. I think that they, um, you know, I kind of, I have a a hope (laughs) that that those fellows will, will actually meet them one day. Because I don't think that um, they would have gone and left unchanged by that incident. Their hearts were well and truly held in his hands. So what would they do? I don't know. I hope to see them again. Maybe uh, have a chat in heaven. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, hear the story from their point of view. But what does it mean for our hearts today? Hmm. Oh, as I was thinking about this, so there's so much in this. There's so many um, treasures within this story. Um, but the one thing that really I was thinking about is, um, is the dirt, um, how he was riding in the dirt. Because I think the dirt conveys something really significant for us. Because human beings are different from the rest of creation. Everything that God made, he spoke into being. If you go and look at the, the Genesis account, you'll see he spoke it, spoke it, spoke it. But what did he do for people? He bent down and he made us from the dirt. Hallelujah. <laughs> yep. He made Adam, he stooped down, he used the dirt to form the man and then God breathed his breath, his spirit into him. Made in the image of God, it says, male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. So if you step back, you know, in the magnificence of that, can you see how that pathetic, horrible scenario was so grievous to Jesus? Men and women weren't supposed to do that to each other. We're supposed to be the glory of God. We're supposed to be the image of God. Male and female created he them. 
That must have really hurt Jesus to see that happen, to see that play out. Yeah. Well, I'm always glad that we've got a God who doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. Um, I remember as a young, um, you know, newly converted person, um, and then who comes knocking on the door? Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> um, to tell me that, um, that Jesus isn't God, that he is an angel. Well, I just thought, I mean, because I wasn't very sophisticated, didn't know very much, but what I did think was an angel. Okay, so God the Father, he has all these rules. People broke them, so he's upset by that. So he goes and sends someone else to fix it. That didn't sound right to me. Our God's not like that. He, he went himself. He paid it himself. He paid the price himself. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. That's the sort of God I wanted. That's the sort of God who I love, who I serve, who I know. Not afraid to get his hands dirty. Not afraid to hold someone's tamarind heart in his hands. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Yes, he did. He judged me that day when he held my heart in his hand he judged me didn't throw it away he actually judged me worth it worth taking the blame the shame the condemnation the rejection of God the father to call me his he judged her worth it too and those men all judged worth it and he judges every one of us worth it so um yeah, I was just thinking what changed from, the, from that vision that I saw of him holding my heart in his hands. And um, I think what did change for me is that it changed the way that I prayed. Um, so I never ever learnt to, um, to think that I, I come to God being good enough. He, I, I am good enough as far as he's concerned... But um, as far as working my way to be accepted by him, well, why would I bother? He knows. He's seen it. <laughs> He's seen what he, he... I know and he, I know he knows. <laughs> There's no secret. I know he knows what it is. So, um, and, and yet, um, knowing that I'm accepted anyway, um, that gives me great confidence when I pray. So, um, I, I've... Being I'm able to be incredibly bold and, uh, and cheeky and sometimes even a rat bag. And he is still listening. He is still listening and he answers. Um, so, you know what? Another thing that I learnt um, is I expected that coming into, the, in, coming into church and coming into follow Jesus, it would be all narrow and I would have to have rules. And I'd have to be a little bit more Evie Tornquist-like. Um, you have to go and see her. <laughs> um, but then I found that when I, when I actually am stepped into the kingdom, I found an amazing freedom. There's an amazing freedom in serving God, in knowing Jesus and walking in his way. 
And I think that's what that woman found when he said, go your way, sin no more. I think um, she went through that door. She went through that door and found that freedom. She found that life that was actually always hers, always belonged to her, always was hers because he paid it for her. Well, I haven't got anything else to say, really. Um, and that the um, the sermon, I've, the things that I've said to you now, I haven't quite said to the people in the morning. Um, yeah, because I I messed my notes up, <laughs> so I just didn't didn't quite have to start again. But yeah, um, yeah. So I would just like to say that um, the same Jesus is here now, and he's still saying the same things. Um, and I did want to actually say something to you as someone who's been around for a bit is that um, just when I thought back to that young woman, me, 20, 40 years ago, um, and how I just always wanted to, you know, I sit at the front still in, in the church. I always still sit at the front. And the reason why I do that is that it's like an echo from that time where I went, I just wanted to be, I wanted to symbolically be close to Jesus. So that's why I sat at the front. Um, and it's not because I think that Jesus is only there and not there, but it's just something that is in for me. I want to say in, in some, whatever way is I, I want to be near you. I want to be near you. I need to be near you. So I sit at the front and I still wave my hands and I still move down like I used to. And I don't think I'm, I don't, I'm, I think the joy that was there in me on that day has never gone, it's never diminished. And so some people will think, oh, that enthusiasm is just for young people and uh, never mind, you'll grow out of it. That isn't true either. That's not true. He fills you every day. And it's just like that song says, it's 10,000 blessings. You will learn more. You will see more. You'll grow more. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just... Um, it's, it, it's, you go through that door and you'll find how wide, how wide, how wide it is. Yeah, it's wide um, and it's good. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.